morning, everybody. Ready to rock and roll? Perfect. Those that are joining us online, we want to welcome you. Thanks for joining with us. We're blessed that you came to be part of Impact Life Church. You're part of the family. Man, oh man. Well, good morning, as I said. And we are excited about what Jesus is doing through this church, in this church, around this church, because of this church. Aren't you thankful for him? Awesome. Well, this morning, I'm, um, I'm stirred up again, as I am every Sunday. If I don't ever come stirred up, you, can, you feel free to hit me, all right? That's, that's an absolute thing. You know, there's a, you know, uh, anybody know Gord Smith? He was, used to be on our team here. Uh, but Gord, before any kind of service or whatever, there was a commercial that we had saw for, it was a, it was a football commercial, and it was this big uh, defensive linebacker. He's probably about, what, 385, 400 pounds. And he had his little trainer, who was like a, cute little white guy, 90 pounds soaking wet, and this big, this big football player would stand in front of him and said, man, hit me. And so he'd been standing in front of him. This little guy would just come up to him and just slap him across the face. It's game time! And just hit him a couple times around that. So Gord is my 90-pound soaking wet trainer that just, I said, come on, just before we get up for service, hit me! It's game time! So he'll come and just slap me a couple times, and so I'm ready to go. Now, with all that being said, we are continuing on and talking about uh, just this series that the Lord had us on, just calling it different, uh, just from another realm. And last week, we went a whole lot into detail about what the church is. What does God want his church to be known for? What's this whole thing all about? And uh, I guess this really started from a conversation that I had uh, as I was picking up my kids a couple weeks ago from school. And one of these, these ladies came up to me and said, hey, Impact, I heard about Impact. You're a church that you know, let's people kind of make a decision. Do I mask? Do I not mask? Am I getting vaccine or not vaccine? Am I, you know, open to this? Or am I close to this? And I was like, at the same time, I'm like, cool. But then deep down, I heard the Lord on the inside. Is that all you want it to be known for? And it hit me like a brick on the inside. And I just said, Lord, no, that's, there's got to be more than what we're seeing. And so what stirred up on the inside of me again, and we all know this, every local church has a unique assignment, has a unique call because of the anointing that is on a local house. So, and again, 1 Corinthians 12 talks about that each God has put each member where he sees fit just as he wanted it. So you're not here by accident. You're, maybe you kind of stumbled in here and going, oh, I don't know how it is. But God calls people to local families to bring a vision that he has for this region to pass. Amen. Correct? Do, can we all agree to that? Well, I mean, why are all these churches even here? Is it just for, you know, to look cute and, you know, to really go back to really what we, you know, our grandparents, great-grandparents cared about as churches? No, no, God is on an assignment. God has an agenda that he wants to bring across into every nation, of course, but then specifically every region. You and I are strategically placed in central Alberta for such a time as this. Like, do, do, does we all believe that? Okay, and if that's true... God has told and given us our assignment, ultimately, what we want impact to be known for, ultimately what we want, I mean, to represent Jesus as well, is that we impact generations for Jesus. You are anointed, you are graced, you are equipped from heaven itself to impact generations for Jesus. You can tap into that anointing, however that looks. It may look a little unique specifically for you, but this is what you are graced to do. And so one thing that we always say is, I mean, I myself say this, so you can say this, that I am anointed to preach or to simply talk about the word of God so people get it. That's what you have that anointing to do. In a world where Christianity seems to be confusing, when the Bible is confusing to a lot of folk, you are anointed to teach it, you are anointed to explain it so people get it. Because when you get it, ding, 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 lights go on and people's lives are impacted and transformed because this is the most impacting book that has ever been on the face of this earth. Thank God for his word. Amen. Now, to accomplish this vision effectively, God now, he told us there's a couple steps. And of course, we're just talking the first one because all I know right now is step number one. And in order to effectively fulfill the vision to effectively accomplish and uh, bring about the assignment God has for this region to impact generations for him, we have to have the first step, which is that we are going to be a church. And I mean, not just talking about this local, you know, this little building, that you and I, as people, the church, are lovers and extremely hungry for God, individually and corporately. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Now, and again, this is kind of common sense, but for, before the church can be known for something, the people have to be it, right? 
And so what we're taking the time to do is actually really talking about culture. And anybody heard of that terminology, culture? Like maybe you come from a different culture. Maybe you've traveled a little bit. You've seen different cultures. And what, what is culture? Well, the way that, you know, the way it was explained to me, and I really took this analogy and bring it to you, you know, we talk about vision, and vision is important. Vision is powerful. Because apart from vision, what happened? People perish, you know, and everything in our life perishes. It runs restraint because there's no direction for where it needs to go. Vision is powerful because it gives you something to aim at. Vision is also powerful because it tells you what not to aim at. Right? It's, it's powerful. It's good. Right? I mean, you can read in the, in the book of Joshua, God talks about, um, like, when, everywhere that you go, the feet of your souls, you'll tread and it'll be powerful. But did you know amongst that, God also gave them divine orders of where not to cross? He said, between this river and that river. So if you start marching outside of the vision God gave you, that's not yours. You have to stay in your lane. This is the vision God gave you. Don't step out of it. Stay in it. But occupy it until he comes. So vision is powerful. We know that. But how do I fulfill my vision? How do I see it come to pass? That's where culture takes place. Culture now is the roadway to get to your vision. Do you have a nice smooth highway that you can drive on to get to the vision? That would be your culture. If it's bumpy, rocky, just, you know, all over the place, it's going to be impossible to get to your vision. So we have to lay it out clearly so that we're able to drive along this path and get to the vision that God has set for us. And so what we're doing is, is we're establishing our culture. Because what the Lord said to me a little while ago, who we are is more important than what we do. Who we are is more important than what we do. And so we're taking the time to check up on the who we is to make sure. Because if we get the being right, if we get I'm who I am right, the doing will automatically be good as well. We good on that? We're okay? Okay. Anybody disagree? Just don't tell me right now. We'll talk about that after. <laughs> you know, when I had this, this sense as I was studying this past week, I heard the Lord on the inside just really bring, a, I guess, a, an intensity on the inside. Joel, you must do this. You must be this for the sake of what God has called us to do in this region. There are people that need to hear the message of Jesus through your lips they need to hear it, and it's going to be impacted greatly by how hungry we are or how in love we are with Jesus. So it's crucial for you and I. So I'm challenging you right now as your pastor to take inventory of where you're at this morning. So here's two questions I want to ask you. Number one is this. On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being hot, it's hot, how or what is your love for him like on a scale of 1 to 10? A scale of 1 to 10, how hungry are you for him? Now, you could also, if you're like, well, I don't really know, maybe an 8, or we'll, we'll get to that. But you could also ask the Lord, Lord, how hungry am I for you? And what's he going to determine that by? Is he going to determine it by other people in the room? Is the standard somebody else? Oh, man, that, I'll tell you, that, that Donovan, when he lifts, he lifts his hands way up there. Well, I can lift my hands higher than Donovan, so I must be doing better than him. Is that the standard? I can belt out a note better than Terry can. Oh, yeah, watch me. Let our praise. I can do it better than her, so I'm hungry for her. Is that our standard? Our standard now is what? The word. The standard is the word. So we have to go on a scale of 1 to 10. we got to measure this thing by what the word of God says. So John chapter 14, I do not have this on the screen, but I want you to look it up. John 14, verse 21. And for those of you who don't know, John is in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Right, the Gospel of John. I really want you to see it. If you got your phones, flick it out. John 14, 21. This right here is going to reveal to you and I what the Word of God tells us about what does it mean to love Him. What does it look like? Ready? Okay, it says this. The person who has my commands and keeps them is the one who really loves me. So who loves Him? The one who... Had his word, obeys his word, keep what he says, command his word, who has his word, and they obey his word are those that really love him. So how do I prove that I love him? Come on, y'all, what do I do? I obey. Say it with me, obey. O-B-E-Y. I love Jesus, but there's no fruit of obedience. It's not there. Yeah, but I love him. That doesn't mean anything. You can't just love in word. The Bible tells us to love in deed. Jesus said, you love me by proving you obey what I say. Now, I want you to see what happens now after this verse. Again, uh, 1421. Now, he says, whoever really loves me will be loved of my father, and I will too will love him. Now, listen. And I will show, 
I will reveal, I will manifest myself to him. Now listen to the last part in the Amplified. It brings us out. Jesus said, I will let myself be clearly seen by him and make myself real to him. So what do lovers of God experience? Jesus reveals himself to them. I love Jesus. Is he real to you? No, not really. Then you don't really experiencing the love aspect of it. Because he says, if you really love me, you'll obey my commands. And my Father will love you. And we will come. And I will reveal. I will manifest myself to you. That's the result of loving God. Isn't that amazing? That God, man, he's going to make himself real to you. That's powerful. That's what everybody's looking for. And where does it come from? Me loving God by proving I obey. Now, let's continue on here for a moment. Romans 12, 11, look at this verse here. The Bible tells us here, I want, to just, I want you to see these words. And anytime you think a word, there's a strong verb or a strong word in, one, in this sentence that we're going to read. I want you just to give it a little shout out, okay? Like a whoop whoop or something, okay? Be enthusiastic. <laughs> yeah, there you go, there you go. To serve the Lord. He says, keeping your passion toward him boiling hot. Woo, 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 woo radiate with the glow of the Holy Spirit and let him fill you with excitement as you serve him. Oh, yay, okay. But I want you to look at some of these words again. These are, there's some pretty powerful words. He says we are to be enthusiastic. Everybody say enthusiastic. We are to be, my passion is to be boiling hot towards him. Thirdly, he says, I'm to be radiating with the glow of the Spirit of God. And then he says on top of that, full of excitement as I serve him. Now, why are these things listed above so crucial? Because the moment that any of this wanes, I now become irrelevant in bringing a culture or bringing the kingdom's culture into this earth. This is heaven's standard. So I want to just explain this word to you. Anything less. So if I'm looking at these words, I'm enthusiastic. Yeah, eight out of ten. It's backsliding. Well, I'm only passionate. You know, I get hot, but sometimes I get turned off when I start watching the news. That's backsliding. Well, you know, I, I radiate once in a while, but every you no know, once in a while I want to radiate with something else like hatred. That's backsliding. Or he says, well, filled with excitement. If I do everything. For the Lord, without an excitement as I serve him, guess what? It's backsliding. Now, I want to explain this terminology, backsliding, because we know it in the Christian world. We think that you've done some horrible sin, or you went back to a previous lifestyle that was just demonstrative and horrible and brutal, right? We think of that, right, of backsliding. Can I just show you from the Word of God what backsliding is in, again, God's eyes? So look at this in Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 5. This is, again, God speaking. He says, why is this people of Jerusalem turned away from perpetual turning from me? So what is backsliding? It just simply is this, a turning away. Can you say it with me? A turning away. He says, they, told, they hold fast to deceit or they hold fast to idolatry and they refuse to repent and return to God. What does it mean to backslide? Is that my vision of Jesus, my vision of his word, what he said is being blurred out by any other image. Any other voice that is louder than the voice of Jesus is a form of backsliding. <laughs> We're going to have a really good morning. I can go. <laughs> That's just simply what it means. It's that if anything in my life, if anything, that word idolatry, what is idolatry? It's simply that anything in my heart that is raised up or put in a place at the same level as Jesus or higher than him is idolatry because it becomes now the most important thing. I live for this thing. I would die for this thing. I would spend all my resources and time to see this thing happen in my life or just to please this thing. For some, it could be sports. For some, it could be fame. For some, it could be you list it off. There's plenty of things out there, but Jesus said, I want to be numero uno and nothing else. Nothing else. Now, for even for myself in ministry, one of even the things that it can be distracting is that ministry becomes the most important thing. I'm working for the Lord. It becomes idolatrous relationship, and what happens? Backsliding is inevitable, and I slowly turn away. Now, I want you to look at this in James chapter 1, verse 13. Because how does it all begin? Where does this backsliding begin? It doesn't begin all of a sudden. I'm laying in bed with somebody else and go, how did I get in here? 
How did this happen? What, what just happened? I, how did you get in my bed? I did not put you there. How did this all take place? Not some accidental thing. So where does it begin? It begins not when that act takes happen. It begins, first of all, with a thought or anything that would elevate itself above or to the same place of God. That's when it begins. I want you to see this in James chapter 1, verse 13. It says, when you are tempted, don't ever say. Are we ready? This is what we're never going to say. If a temptation comes, and trust me, they will come. How do we know? Because we live in flesh. Now, what do we don't say? God is tempting me. For God is incapable of being tempted by evil, and he is never the source of temptation. God doesn't tempt. Can we say that together? God does not tempt. He doesn't tempt you. He never will tempt you. Okay, now look at verse 14. Instead, now I want you to see this, it is each person's own desires and thoughts that drag them into evil and lure them away into darkness. So he says, evil desires give birth to evil actions, and when sin is fully mature, it can murder you. So anything that's even done in secret, this is the thing that the Satan doesn't tell you about sin. Does it feel good? Yeah. Does it, is it fun? Oh, yeah. Is it amazing? Oh, yeah. There's a lot of good stuff in it. But what he doesn't tell you is that the end result of it is he wants to murder you. That's the bottom line. It leads to separation. Death in any kind of sort. Death physically, yeah, that can be the case. But death emotionally, death in your own soul, that's the whole point behind sin and all of its what it tries to do. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. It'll cost you more than you want to pay. It'll lead you down something that you didn't actually even want to end up doing. But that's what it caused to do. So verse 16, he says, my friends, don't be fooled by your own desires. So he's saying, just pay attention to them. That's not my focus this morning necessarily to talk about the backsliding aspect of things. But I want you and I to see that the standard for you and I, how we live our lives, is not based on somebody else, not based on our Canadian culture. I can't look at what Canadians do and go, okay, that's how we worship, that's how I worship. I have to go to the Word of God and find out what does the Word say regarding worship, what does the Word say regarding praise, and that's my standard now for praise. I, I don't really like to raise my hands. That's really not about you. I don't really like to jump. It's not really about you. Those are expressions of the Spirit of God on the inside of you that if you yield yourself to, yeah, you'd raise your hands. You start getting, man, you just start getting moving. Well, I guess he's worthy of everything, not the praise I think he deserves. He is worthy of the praise he does deserve, and he deserves it all. So that's why I raise my hands. That's why we'll do a little jig, right? It's not to impress anybody. It's because he's worthy of it. God says, it actually talks about in Hebrews that there's a sacrifice to your praise. What does that mean? It's going to cost you something, right? If, if, you're bo- if you're kind of bored in the worship set, guess how bored God is? <laughs> Anywho, how do you think he feels? All of a sudden, we're just singing that song again, and he's like, come on, man, give me something. He's just as bored. So I want to give him something that he likes. And what does he like? He likes when I'm not thinking about anybody else, I'm thinking about him, and I'm doing it in faith because I know he's good, and I know that he's faithful to me. I, then he likes that. Anyways, let's move on here. Now, why am I bringing all this up? Because again, like previous generations, the Lord has ordained this time in history. I want you to really think of this. Before the, the, the planet was even here, before earth even existed, God saw 2021 and he ordained this year by saying, this is the year of the local church. He spoke that before the foundation of the world. And you and I, rather than acknowledging or echoing what we're seeing in the culture out there today, where this is the year of the COVID continuation or the year of continuous restrictions or the year of more continuous restrictions, I'm not going to confess that. I'm not going to say that. I want to look down from heaven. Father, what did you call? What do you say about this generation? What do you say about this time? You say that it's the year of the local church? I agree with you. And what happens, I now position myself in such a way that I can go, I've been in sync with him. God, what do you want to do? Let's do it. I want to be in sync with him, not CNN. Amen. <laughs> okay. Now, I'm making a commitment to this. I believe this. This is something the Lord just wakened in my heart last night early when I was prepping for this a bit more. This is the year that the church is waking up to her God-given calling to arise and shine and come out of its backslidden state and to return to its hunger for the Lord. I believe that. It's our time. Come on, say it with me. It's my time. Come on again. It's my time. It's my time to what? To awaken. 
right? I don't need revival. You already revived. You a believer in Jesus. You got the Spirit of God in you. You're woke. What happens now is you need to realize what the Spirit of God has already done on the inside of us. And for now, you and I, it's no longer just looking out here, God, who am I? What have you made me? And I'm awakening now to the calling he's already called me to. Uh, You and I are becoming the individuals that God has already made us in Christ Jesus. We're just awakening to that fact. Now, again, what the Lord doesn't say these things to condemn us. He says it to awaken us. Why? Because he needs his church. Can you say that with me? God needs his church. What does he need his church? He needs his church to do anything on this planet. God cannot sovereignly just do whatever he wants to do on this planet. Why? Because God, yes, he is sovereign, but in his sovereignty, he has given this earth to you and I. He's given the authority of the kingdom of God in this earth in the hands of his church. So God cannot do whatever he just wants to do. He needs his church to actively be engaged. And guess what? He wants to use you. Oh, he, what we, we got, sometimes we just pass it on. We just need some mega ministry or some mega speaker to be able to do that. No, he just needs an awake church that will say, I'm in. What do you want me to do? Somebody that's just awakened to him. That's what God needs. But I really want us to see that on this earth, God cannot just whoosh and everything just takes over. Ooh, pocket of revival over here and healings take place over there. He needs us. There's always a God side and there's always a man side. God is always turned on. God is always ready to save. He's always ready to deliver. He's always ready to restore, to heal, to break off any chains. But what does he need? He needs a partner in ministry to work alongside him to bring that freedom into somebody else's life. He needs agents. The same way the enemy. He can't just come in and do whatever he wants to do. He needs a body. He needs access into this planet. And sadly, what we're seeing on this earth today through social media and such is the promotion of negative things constantly, of all the stupidity of men and women out there that do devilish things because they're yielded to the, de- to the enemy. Well, if, hey, you see that out there, but how much more is grace working through individuals such like you and I to restore and to bring the kingdom of God on this earth? Where sin abounds... Grace does much more abound. So you and I, we carry a message. We carry someone with us, and his name is the Holy Spirit. And everywhere we go, we release him into a situation, and he brings freedom, he brings deliverance, he brings freedom or peace. That's what he does. Now, so here we go. Are we ready? Now, in order to see these things take place, it's not just, oh, God, please do this in our city. That's great. Pray, that's wonderful. But I'm rather than saying, Lord, I'm looking for Lord, I'm looking for this to take place. Lord, here am I. What do you want with me? And step one that God is giving us as a church family is you have you must do this. You must increase your passion level for me once again. That's what he's requiring of you and I. Maybe you're saying, Well, I'm I'm passionate for God. There's always more. So I want you to go with me again to Revelation chapter two. Verse 1 through 5, we're going to go through this because the messages that you see in the book of Revelation to the churches specifically, how many know they're not just for that church in Ephesus, they're for that church today. Jesus is speaking to his church today through the book of Revelation, and it is powerful. There is so much in this. If you want to know what's God speaking to the church, here it is. You see them, there are seven churches, and they all give a unique message, and there's so much into this. I'm only kind of scratching the surface of what Jesus is saying to this church. But in verse 1, Jesus speaks, he says, Write the following to the messenger or to the pastor in the congregation in Ephesus. For these are the words of the one who holds the seven stars firmly in his right hand. Who are those? The seven stars is the pastors, right? Who walks among the seven golden lampstands. What are the golden lampstands representing? The church. Now, what is the one who holds these right stars? What does he do with his church? He walks among. That means he goes in and out. An exterior walk around the building is not what he does to make sure the doors are open. He actually walks into the building because he is so interested in his bride. He's so interested in his church. He wants to see how the troops are doing. Because again, we said this last week, we know the kingdom of God. We know that we are a family, absolutely. But just as much as we are a family, it, at the same time, it is an army. And in an army, there is control, or there's command, there is officers, God has delegated authority. This is how God operates, right? 
And so what does he do? He walks as the chief of our commanding officer. He walks in and around these aisles to check up to see how the troops are. Because what I've even found in my short little time of ministry is I am replaceable. <laughs> if I don't do what the Lord asked me to do, guess what? He'll find somebody that will do what he's asked them to do. So we always have to keep that in check. <laughs> All right. He says this in verse 2, I know and how can he say, I know all that you've done for me? How can he say those words? Because what is he doing? He walks around and he checks in. And it's not just a little glance here and there. He deeply looks in. He checks the heart. He, and listen, Hebrews 4 tells us this, that nothing is hidden before God. Everything is exposed as we lie naked before him. Everything. Not just talking about naked, you know, without clothes on. It's talking about naked soul. Nothing is hidden from him. He can see the condition of how the churches are, and that's why he can say, I know, I know all that you've done for me. And then he lists off, you have worked hard and you've persevered. I know that you don't tolerate evil. I, you've, tasted, or sorry, you've tested those who claim to be apostles and prove they are not, for they were imposters. He says that I also know how you have bravely endured trials, verse 3, and persecutions because of my namesake. Because of my namesake. He says, I know that, and yet you have not become discouraged. He says, I know all those things. And if it would just stop at verse 3, this church would get an A+. Plus. They would go, when they stand before the Lord at the great, uh, when we stand before the Lord on that great judgment day, to stand before Jesus to get our awards, this church would be ding, 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 ding. Give it to them, man, crown after crown. A plus, here's your sticker. Man, enjoy heaven, y'all. This is going to be great. But then, sadly, there's a verse 4. And verse 4 says, but I have this against you. Now, why is this such a big deal? Like, Jesus, don't you recognize all the works we did? Don't you see, like how you just said, how we don't tolerate evil? Don't you realize that, hey, we, there's evil teachers or apostles that were coming in and trying to mess up the sheep or mess up the teaching, yet we didn't stand a chance for that. Lord, is that not good enough? Why is Jesus now saying, but I have this against you? Because those four or five things we just listed off, apart from a passionate hunger for Jesus, they become irrelevant. Because if I'm not serving the Lord enthusiastically, people aren't drawn to what's going on in me, the life source in me. Right. Now I'm doing things in my own strength. And so this is what he's saying, but I have this against you. What did you do? You have abandoned the passionate love that you have for me at the beginning. Now look at the key word, you've abandoned it. Meaning you've got to go pick it up again. It's, here's my love, I just set it aside, and as we found out last week, this church was so involved in things, and I'm not just talking church stuff, I'm talking about life and things that were taking place in this life that they abandoned or they left the love they had for him at first because life just came at them. And he's saying, this is what I have against you. Now look at verse 5. Now thank God there, there is a verse 5 because if they just stopped on verse 4, it's like, hey y'all, it's thanks for all that you did, but I have this against you, you know, you kind of screwed it up. But verse 5 is mercy. Verse 5 is re revealed to you and I so that we get our passion back. This is the, it's very simple. You don't pray for more passion. You don't go, oh, God, I'm waiting for a feeling of passion. You just have to follow these steps. And guess what? You can now turn again your passion to what you had with the Lord from the beginning by just simply following what he says in verse 5. So what does he say? Think about how far you have fallen. And that's the only phrase that I'm going to go into today. He says, think about how far you have fallen. Repent. And notice this. Do the works of love you did at first. Do you see anything in there about bawling and squalling? Oh, God, I'm so sorry. I just need, I just, I need to feel more passionate. It ain't going to come. Because you know that there's times when I come Sunday morning, I don't feel passionate. What do you do? You just go in there and you start doing, guess what? The passion will follow. Then he says this, but I want you to see this last sentence. This one, man, hit me hard yesterday morning. He says, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place of influence if you do not repent. Now, what does that mean? He's going to wipe out Impact Life Church and never to exist ever again? No, no, no. It just talks about the effectiveness or the influence that you and I are called to have in central Alberta and in our province. How do we maintain that influence? The zeal and the passionate love we had from him at the beginning. If I do not, if I choose to let that thing fall to the side, Jesus said, I'm, it's not that he's angry and all ticked off and we're done with you. He's like, your influence is gone. 
It's taken away. And I'll find somebody else who will take that zeal up for me. So did you and I know it? We, are, we control our passion. We control our zeal for him. You are experiencing as much of God as you want right now. Well, how come so-and-so gets more? Because they want more. Well, how come so? It's like every time they pray, just things happen. That's where they want. Where are you at? You are experiencing as much of God in your life as you want. And that's a very sobering statement. Because I want more, and I'm like, well, I should be at more. Well, do something. Now, again, in the, look at this in verse 5, the Amplified Bible. Again, I want to just take the first sentence of this. So, okay, I want my passion back, Lord. I want to be on fire for God where I was before. I'm reading what you read in Romans chapter 12. I'm not as zealous. I'm not as hungry. I'm not enthusiastic. I'm not keeping a glow. I just, I want this differently. Great. Praise God. Now, let's not pray for it. Let's do what the Word says. The Word says right here, remember. Can you say it with me? Remember. Remember, remember then from what height you have fallen. And the Greek literally brings out when you says you have fallen, doesn't mean that you're in the process of falling. That word fallen actually brings out that you've already fell. You've already come down. So you were here, but now you're here. So he said, I want you to recognize that. So now we're going to do is just talk about this word, remember. And again, I got a few things that I want to read to you, just some really interesting facts that will help us along the way. Are you okay if I just read that to you? Okay. If you want these notes, again, we send them out every week, and I, I can get them all to you, and it's powerful. But this word, remember, it was essential for the Ephesian believers now to recall their place of departure if they were to return to the vibrant relationship they once experienced with Christ. And that's why Jesus said the word, remember. When a church becomes older, more structured, polished, and doctrinally developed, it becomes so engaged in doing church that it runs the risk of forfeiting its zeal and spiritual fire. What once was held as precious often becomes routine. And let me just stop there for a little second. You know how I truly believe this with all my heart that God, even though none of this was the plan of God, this demonic COVID thing we're talking about, God used it to reset his church. Did you know that we needed a massive reset in the church? Why? Because we were so caught up in... Hollywood preaching and so caught up in the acts of church, the appearance of godliness, but no power in it. And you also at the word of, you know, I'll just, I'll, let me venge off this for a sec. There is a gentleman by the name of Ed Dufresne. He came here, this was a while ago now, I believe 2006 or seven, And he shared about a vision that the Lord gave him in 1999. He's passed away now since that time. He was in a plane crash actually. But in 1999, the Lord gave him a vision, and he saw what the end-time church looked like. And what we're seeing in this earth today, that there are massive divisions. Everything is a divisive tool now. From a mass to a vaccine to store, it's, it's stupid what's going on in the world. All tactics of the enemy. But now, the, the bad thing is that division can creep into the church. But now, what, he, what I want to share with you just here for a moment, this is actually a good division that we see, fee, see fit. Malachi chapter 4 really brings it. I encourage you to read Malachi chapter 4. You're going to find that here where some of the Israelites at that time, representing now the church today, what does it pay to serve the Lord? Look at the world. They don't serve God. They don't have to go to church, yet the Lord blesses them. They're well looked after. What's the use of serving God? And then there was another group of people that would talk amongst themselves because the fear of the Lord was the very source and root of their life. And now God says, watch, I will remember them when I come in with all my blessing. It's a, it's a, it's a shift. Anyway, this, the, the, Ed Dufresne had this vision, and it was about the Word and the Spirit church going this way, and now you had the flesh church going this way. What's the difference? The Word and the Spirit church is, Jesus, you have your church back. What do you want to do with your church? And the flesh church is, we're just trying to appease the crowd. We're trying to teach for itching ears. We're just trying to accommodate the crowd. We want to bring in as many people as we possibly can because, you know, that's just what churches should be doing. Right, And I, I get there's a balance because, of course, you want to reach as many people. I get that, but I will not substitute the Word of God to try to reach somebody. I will do everything apart from sin to reach somebody for the Lord. If it's sin, I will, not have, any, I will have nothing to do with it. Why? Because now Jesus is no longer the head of the church. I made myself to be the head, and I'm going to try to reach these people. That is not my call. That's not who we are. That is not what Jesus wants his church for. We're to be that light. We're to be that that glowing factor in this dark world that we bring the Spirit of God. We bring freedom, joy, and peace everywhere that we go. This is what we do. 
But now, thing, and I want to just bring you back to the sentence, what was once held as precious often becomes routine. And I'll give you a couple examples of that. Just even think about regarding our tithes and offerings. It becomes routine. And what do I mean by routine? I mean, even in our own attitudes, okay? We, there's a five-minute countdown. Okay, they're going to say hi. They're going to ask us to stand up. Sing a few songs. Okay, ties. And then the message. Okay, and then we just kind of go on throughout our day. Not even realizing God calls the tithe holy. Amen. What does that mean? It is a set-apart time where I honor God with the first fruits of what I've done, what I've, my work of my hands. Lord, I'm blessing you with it. It's become routine. Worship becomes routine. Oh, we sing a couple songs, go here and there. Are we okay with all of that? Do you want to just check off our boxes and kind of move on? How about you? But I, I don't want anything to be routine anymore. I want to get my eyes fixed on it going, Lord, here's my tithe. Lord, I want to thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. Because tithe isn't just a money aspect. It's a heart condition. Lord, and we're actually, we tithe with our mouth. Lord, this is the first fruits of what you've given me. You've blessed me, and here I bring now the best fruits back to you. Thank you for blessing the works of my hands. It became routine. Even going to church became routine. And the first time that I saw that that routineness was kind of kicked out was last year, May 31st, when we had our first service back after our last service, which was March 15th last year. May 31st comes around. I remember the excitement that we were in that room back there, and we had a couple services back there. Just the excitement. Why? Because people took for granted what once was such a normal thing to do. And so what did God use during this time? Wake up call, y'all. Church, wake up call. And this is 1 Peter chapter 4. He actually says this. If judgment is supposed to come, let it come first to the house of God. What do we got to do? We have got to be judging ourselves to make sure I'm not taking any of this stuff for granted, that actually I can sing with good music, that I actually can bring a tithe and not get shot for coming here. Lord, thank you for that. Not only that, thank you for setting this up, that I can bring my tithes and you'll bless it. Lord, thank you for setting that up. But what happens is over time, it just becomes routine. It becomes part of church. And this is what we call now playing church. I've played church. I've done church. This is just what we do. And it becomes dull, it becomes boring, and therefore there's no expectation of God anymore. We're not expecting anything to happen in our services anymore, and church becomes... And now we're just like any kind of mosque that's out there. Dead, lifeless, pathetic. That is not the call of God for the church. And I'm not saying that this is us. I'm just awakening you and I. This is what we got to get ourselves back to, that nothing becomes routine. Okay, where am I? It says, now the church has become accustomed to the spirit of God in their lives, and too often, unintentionally, we begin to simply traffic in the things of God. There isn't a single mature believer who hasn't had to fight this temptation because eventually, as his and her sinful past gradually becomes a distant memory. Every mature believer, I'm talking about individuals, men and women of God that I look up to, that are well ahead of me in years. This is something that they've brought and told me in private. This is something that they had to guard against because as time goes on, my past and what I did back in the day, my sin, the place that I was at before I came in contact with the grace of God is a distant memory. So rather than now looking to reach the world, I now have my nose up at them. You guys are pathetic. We used to be that. <laughs> but what happens, it becomes such a distant memory. It becomes like, oh yeah, that's, the world is stupid. You cannot reach a world that you criticize. I was in it. I did the exact same things. I will never criticize somebody drunk. Why? Because I was before. Cricket, cricket, cricket. <laughs> Dylan, that was well played, my man. That was well played. <laughs> now let me list this off. The Ephesian believers had a great deal to remember. This is what they had to remember. Their deliverance from idol worship their liberation from evil spirits, the many miraculous healings that occurred in their city, the great bonfire when they burned millions of dollars. Like, think about it. They took the entire Red Deer Public Library to shame. They took every book out of that place because it was filled with their cultish ideas, and they put it into a massive bonfire and had a huge party celebrating they're gone from that pagan lifestyle. And fifthly, it says their public act of repentance before the pagan crowd. They repented to the Lord in front of everyone. No matter how stupid they looked, they just did it. And this right here, from the beginning of this church, 
The early believers, this is what they were known for. There's three things, key things, that historians say that this church was known for. Number one is their absolute passion for Jesus. Man, they loved him. Number two, their willingness to sever their new lives in Christ from the pagan past. Like I said last week, there was nothing that they wouldn't amputate for the Lord. The Lord just, he, if the Lord just even didn't even like it, they would cut it off. They wouldn't be compromising. Well, Lord, just maybe just once in a while I'll do that. Lord, you don't like it? Gone from my life. And I remember we had a mini awakening in our youth group. This was a couple years ago. I remember we had youth kids coming in, and we actually had a CD burning party. They brought the CDs. They brought all of their you know, secular CDs, and we had a massive party. Some of them put them in microwaves and destroyed the microwaves, which was awesome. I didn't care. That came out of my budget, but whatever. Blow them up, man. I don't care what you do to that mic. People were on, they were turning their hearts towards the Lord, and the Lord met them at that part. He gave them access to that part, and I'll, I'll never forget it. That, for me, was an amazing thing to see. I just remember just saying, we're going to have a CD burning party. Yeah. Right? And it, was, it wasn't like, you know, it was like, you know, Slipknot and Corn and all these bands that were out there. Blink-182, I remember seeing get thrown into the fire. And it's not that like, God is just repulsed just bleh, all over that stuff. These was on the inside. It was a calling on the inside saying, Lord, I want you. What do you want me to amputate? I'll do it. Yeah, right. This is what they were known for. Again, their passion for Jesus, their willingness to amputate anything. Thirdly, their aggressive missionary zeal. They had a hungry for lost folk. You need to hear about my Jesus, what he did for me. Don't you just love being around somebody who just received Jesus as their Lord? I know for me personally, I've come in contact with these individuals, and I love it. Why? Because they'll do anything for him. And they're not been religiously taught to the place of, oh, you can't say those types of things. No, 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 no. Man, did I tell you that story last week about this individual I met at a young adult conference? He was stuck in a homosexual lifestyle. Did I share that with you? Okay, I'll share that with you. It was really cool. So I was speaking at a young adult conference last January and in Edmonton, and it was awesome. This guy came up to me, and I, I, I was preaching along the lines of, you know, the, the freedom in our life and whatever. And this guy came up after me. He's like, man, I want to tell you what happened to me. And so he shared his story of what God did for him and how he was miraculously, you know, taken away out of that homosexual lifestyle, and now he's living for God because now he's, he's like, I actually have a girlfriend now. It's amazing. They're way easier. I thought, <laughs> Awesome. But then, then I think, did I tell you Julian's a story? Okay, Julian's got a great story on this too. And what happened, this guy, same type of thing. He got delivered from homosexual lifestyle. And he just, like, he accepted the Lord. And the Lord delivered him on the spot completely free. And now he came and testified that next Sunday. And he went up, he says, God delivered me from homosexuality. And they would say, how, you want to know how? Because last night I slept with a girl. It was awesome. <laughs> And the church went, whoa, awesome. We're going to have to disciple now. <laughs> but what happened is we celebrated the small victory he had. They celebrated, man, that's so awesome. And I think this was back in England where the, the lifestyle in the city he was at was very homosexual. That was very prevalent there. But just to see what God can do. And what happens, these guys are just out there to proclaim, God did it for me, he'll do it for you. And he's just out there telling about the good news of God. This is what foundationally, this is what the Ephesians church was known for. They would not shut up about Jesus. Now, as I said, this was part of their glorious history. It was said about this church, the Ephesian church, that their vibrancy and excitement inspired the same passion in other churches and spiritual leaders. But as the years passed, the zeal, that, um, the zeal they possessed slowly left. Knowledge increased, but the believer's fiery passion for Jesus diminished. This church grew, and as a result, when churches grow, so do schedules, so do routines, so do traditions. The Ephesian church was so busy serving Jesus that they lost their intimacy with him. They experienced a loss of joy in their service to God simply because joy is impossible to maintain without a vital connection to the Lord. It's impossible to be happy apart from unity with him. He is joy. Okay. To make it simple, the church lost its simplicity and passion that marked their early love for Jesus Christ. And I think this is what happens as we've progressed in church in knowledge and understanding is that we've lost the simplicity of what, tr the, what Jesus is all about. What does he want? Relationship. It's so simple. 
I remember hearing this, that you actually need professional help to teach you how complicated this is. You know, anybody remember Brother Kenneth E. Hagin? He, the Lord appeared to him five times. And one of the times that the Lord appeared to him, he was talking about the Christ in him, the hope of glory, visions and things like that. And this is what Jesus said to, to Brother Hagin. He said this. He said, if you ever hear a message that's complicated, no, that minister never got it from me. Everything Jesus preached. You look through the Gospels. What did he preach? He seemed to talk about the seed and the sower. You talk about a farmer going out planting seeds. Somebody that's just in love with what they found, that they dug up the treasure that they found, put it back in and bought the entire planet and bought it back. Like, simple. Simple. And that's what Jesus is trying to say even in here, that because the church grew, it got so preoccupied with this, that, this, that, this. And even just naturally speaking for you and I, life happens. What's going on that we're seeing today? This earth is, I mean, if there's ever a generation, this is a generation, naturally speaking, that could be full of distractions. We got this. And not only that, we got an iPhone to see what I'm not doing, what other people are doing that I should be doing. Distraction, distraction, distraction. We're in time, whereas, you know, back in the you know, day, I guess we would call it, is where is the time that people just go for a walk and look at the sunset and go, there is a creator out here. Nobody even watches the sunset anymore. Why? Because we're too busy. I'd rather see a picture of it that somebody took at 5 a.m. rather than me go actually look at it. Distraction, distraction, and distraction. Now, this reveals to us how the church had unintentionally drifted from the spiritual zeal that they once were known for. And because of this, Jesus tells his church to remember. Now, as I said, remembering now is putting us in the right direction to get our fiery passion back. Thank God for mercy. Okay, now I, wanna, I did a little study on this, the word remember. And the word remember is the Greek word emnia. Can you say that with me? Emnia. Now, what does emnia mean back in English? It means this. It means to bring out a statue, a monument, or a tombstone. That's what the word remember or emnia means. It's a monument, it's a statue, or a tombstone. Now, bringing this out, it's significant that the word emnia can be translated tombstone. This suggests right here to this church that the Ephesian believers with Christ had become buried by 40 years of activity. Jesus is telling them to dig through the clutter of their schedules, of their routines, of their activities, so they could remember their vibrant beginning. Like the dirt on a grave, the busyness of life and ministry had buried what was once precious to them. Jesus was urging them to remember or to dig up those early memories when their faith was tender and new. To dig deep in order to recall and recover their powerful past. Once they remembered, they would be able to see how far they had drifted from the spiritual fervency that once marked their beginnings. So again, now the word emnia, that was for a tombstone. I want you to see it from this point now. Emnia simply meaning a statue. Now, this tells us that some memories should forever stand tall in our lives and never be forgotten. The purpose of a statue or a monument to put living people, what is, it, what is the purpose of a statue? You, put, you erect a statue, you know, either of an event or of an individual who did something. Why do we have those statues there? So future generations can look and go, whoa, that's what so-and-so did, and it helped free these people? Man, that's amazing. It puts us in remembrance of what people have done, right, so that we can encourage it and actually teach it through generations. And I do even see that, like this cancel culture that's out there, to cancel even all of history. Why? Because they want to rewrite it. Can't change that stuff. It just repeats itself. Now listen to this. Memories must be deliberately maintained and cultivated if they are to remain vital in our hearts and minds. And if significant memories are not deliberately passed on to future generations, they become lost under the overgrowth of life. Just like a neglected grave with no tombstone, it doesn't take long before the location of such a grave is completely lost. People will walk across it even without knowing that underneath remains a precious person under their feet. <laughs> it has to be maintained. So like an unmarked grave, important memories are easily forgotten. Adults forget childhood. Nations forget their heritage. And Christians forget their early beginnings with Jesus. This is seen in the church in Ephesus. Years of activity and Christian service consume their energy and strength that they begin to forget the beautiful work of God's grace in their life. Jesus wants us, his church, his redeemed ones, to remember, to remain continually mindful of our past, 
and to share it with future generations as a wonderful statue of the goodness of God, taking an honest look at their hearts and compared with their present to their past, they would be able to see where they actually stood and how they had fell. This is crucial. Now, that's why they say in Revelation again, 2.5, Jesus tells them, remember then from where you have fallen. You know, and I'll just give you this other verse here. I don't have it screen-wise, but 1 Corinthians 10.12, the Apostle Paul tells you and I, he says, if you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. What does he mean by that? Because a lot of times we actually will say, I'm doing a whole lot better than I actually am. In some cases, that's true. But in regards to what Jesus is talking about with the Ephesians church, I'm showing you kind of from the negative slant on this. Because there's a lot of times where you're actually doing a lot better than you think you are. But Jesus wants you and I to remember. He says, remember from where you have fallen. Meaning this, he's not talking about, uh, what he is talking about is your passion, your zeal, your place of authority, your place that you had as a witness for me. And because of this witness, watch how God demonstrated. How do you think the mighty miracles took place? Did God just sovereignly do that? Because he's like, oh, let's do it in Ephesus. And he's just doing amazing things because people were hungry. The Bible actually says that many miraculous signs, like un, or extraordinary miracles, were done by the hands of Paul. Was it because of Paul's amazingness? No, it's because people were drawing on God that Paul would actually take a cloth, lay his hand on it, speak over it. They would give it to the demon possessed, to the sick, and they were instantly delivered. They were instantly healed from a cloth. This, how can that happen? People were pulling. People wanted God. And in the Western society we live in today, we don't want him. We don't need him. We got it all. I got hot water. I got food. I got superstore. I got all these things. Why do I need the Lord? But you go to other places, man. They are pulling on it because they, Jesus is all they have. And we have got to get to that place. Thank God for all these things, but they should never supersede in the source of my life. It's always been him. It will continue to be him, and it will never change no matter what happens here. It's always got to be him. And this is he saying, you've left me. The first love, you abandoned it. Now, power in remembering. Now, this is, again, I'm not saying this because in Jesus, there's no such thing as condemnation. He doesn't condemn anyone. What does he do? He awakens. So I don't want you to kind of think, oh, this is, oh, I guess I've just been doing horrible. I've been doing bad. No, 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 no. Let it stir you up on the inside and go, Jesus, I'm coming after you now. I'm, not, I'm seeing this is the standard of the word. Lord, I'm going to rise up to this occasion because I want you and I want you to have access to me. So again, verse five, this is you and I, the grace now to come back to this fiery zeal. Can anybody remember when they were so passionate for God? What did it look like when you first met the Lord or came back to the Lord? What was it like for you? Do you remember it for a sec? Just take a sec right now. Those watching online, take a second right now. What, what comes to your mind? Shout it out at me for a moment. Joy. Satisfied. Passion. Happy. It's lots of these different words you can use for this to describe it. But now this word, remember, I want you to look at this. Exodus chapter 12, verse 14. You look in the Old Testament, Exodus and Deuteronomy, you see this word remember so many times. And in Exodus 12, 14, this is God saying to the nation of Israel, this is a day to remember. Say with me, remember. 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 He says, each year from generation to generation, you must celebrate. God is telling them, commanding them, have a party. And remember why you're having this party. What was the party? It was the time of the Passover. When God, the angel of death came, and you know, all the Israelites painted their door frames with the blood of a lamb, right? And God told Moses, if I see that blood from a lamb sprinkled on those doors, I will pass over you and will not kill your firstborn. What happened in Egypt? All the firstborns were wiped out, killed. But what happened? Israel was set free. God says, remember that. Now we look at that, and for us, I mean, we could say, remember what Jesus did. Next, Deuteronomy 4.20. The Lord says, remember that the Lord rescued you from the iron smelting furnace of Egypt in order to make you his very own people and his special possession, which is what you are today. 
Deuteronomy 24, 18, it says, Always remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God redeemed you from your slavery. You can go, that's all Old Testament stuff. Well, I'll give you a New Testament verse just to make you happy. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, look at this. It says this, don't forget, or we could say, remember. Don't forget it. Remember that you Gentiles used to be what? Outsiders. You were called, guess what you were called? Come on, what are you? I'm an uncircumcised heathen. <laughs> By the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it didn't only affected their bodies, verse 12, says, in those days, those days when I was an outsider, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from the citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made with them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. Now look at this, verse 13. But now. You remember that? But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Jesus. Let me just show you these verses too. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. It says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. He says, all of us, say with me, all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's wrath or his anger, just like everyone else. I don't have verse 4, but verse 4 says, but God, so rich in mercy. Because of and in order to satisfy his rich love that he has for us, he made us alive in Christ Jesus when he raised us from the dead and he has seated us with him in heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age and in this world but also in that which is to come. He did that. But what he's telling you and I is remember. Remember what it was like to be a heathen. Remember what it was to live in sin, to be stuck in sin with no way out, just to keep going and cycle, cycle after cycle. He's saying, remember. And I want to just show you this verse too. If, uh, Isaiah chapter 66. We'll be remembering for eternity. Now look at this verse. As surely as my new heavens and earth will remain, so will you always be my people with a name that will never disappear, says the Lord. All humanity will come to worship me from week to week and from month to month. Verse 24, and as they go out, so just after you've done worshiping him, they will see the dead bodies of those who have rebelled against him, for the worms that devour them will never die, and the fire that burns them will never go out. All who pass by will view them with utter horror. And that's how Isaiah finished his, his message. What's going to happen when we get to heaven? We just had a worship service. Guess what? We're going to walk out, and we're going to see the pit of where these people are at, and all we'll do is thank you. Why? Because God points out a message. This is what happens when you rebel against who I am. What does he do? Remember. Remember the, the, the cost. It costs God to get you and I to not go to that place. So rather than us all go into this place of the pit of hell, he put a big cross in the middle, and that cross will forever. I mean, even when you hear about it, Jesus' hands, when you see him, you'll see the imprint in his hands and his feet. The, the, the beatings on his back. It's all scarred now. But why will they be there? To remember. The price it cost to bring his church, his glorified, beautiful body into heaven with him. It cost him everything. So for you and I, remembering is not just something once in a while. The good thing is, is that God doesn't remember your sin. <laughs> Only he can do that. He has no recollection of it. I know sometimes that's hard to fathom, but he's really good at it. But he recalls you and I, hey, remember from where you came from. Now, this week's challenge, and I'm asking you to do this. This isn't, I'm not, you know, sugarcoating this. And Oh, if you have time for it, make time. We are going to be the church that is so hungry for God. And I don't do this in a mean heart. Sorry, it kind of comes out that way. I'm just really uh, passionate on the inside of me right now. I don't mean that to sound harsh or anger in any kind of way. We have to do this for the sake 
of the influence of what God has called us to do to continue to go out and reach and impact people for him. This is not a one-man show. This is not a few people. It's the church collectively longing for this Jesus that he can make himself real and show himself mighty on our behalf. So I'm almost pleading. I'm making a call out. Will you do this with me? We need to do this. We must do this for the sake of generations that are coming up underneath us. My kids need to see me zealous for the Lord, not zealous for ministry. I don't want you seeing I'm zealous for ministry. I'm zealous for him. And because of him, I'll do whatever he asks me to do. I'll serve at Starbucks if I have to. I'll do whatever he asks me to do. But it's whatever he calls me. But first and foremost, I'm hungry for him. I'm not hungry for my calling. I'm not hungry for, to see my gift used. I want him. And however he wants to do it, that's totally fine. I've come to the place in my own self that I'm okay. If God wants to use any other church to do amazing things in this city, go for it as long as Jesus is magnified. I'm okay with that. But I also know on the inside of me that the Lord is calling us to go a bit higher, to go a bit deeper with him so that he can actually use you for the sake of his kingdom. That's what I want. So this is what the Lord challenged me this week, so I'm giving it to you. I got a journal this past week, and I entitled it, It's My Hunger Journey. So get a journal, get a piece of paper. Don't use a... Don't use just a pen and paper because it's easy to get distracted on an iPad or a computer. I got myself a pen and paper, and it's titled My Hunger Journey. And every day this week, we are taking 30 minutes of our day to write and remember. Remember what? First experiences with God. Write out where you came from. Write out your past, what God did in his love to reach you. Write out the emotions or the feelings that you experienced as you came to him. Write out what you did with Jesus. What was your time like with him? What did you do for him? What was your conversation with others like? What are, write down and write out what are some statue moments that you need to write out and share with your children, your grandchildren, your friends and niece and nephew. Write those things out because what's the purpose of this? To see if there's a change from where we first were when we came to Christ and where I am now. And I want you to stir up those feelings. And so I started doing it this past week. And for me, it brought up again a lot of, oh, wow, you did that for me. My high school years, I was in the bar. That's what I did. Got myself a fake ID. They're easy to find. And the guy was blonde. I don't know how it worked, but whatever. (laughs) Going to the bars, involved with the wrong crowds. And I remember getting called out here. It was in November of 2005. Because I graduated that summer, 2005, that winter. I came to this thing because, again, if I live under my parents' roof, you come to church. I came to church hungover. Not even paying attention. Don't giving a rip about anything church-wise, anything with God. I had no access, no interest in it whatsoever. And then, November 2005, a random service that we had on a Thursday, Thursday evening with Shekinah Glory. All of a sudden, people are dancing, they're running, they're shouting, they're you know, just doing stuff right, expressing their love for God. I'm sitting in the very back, and the lady stops, and she says, Joel, I want you up here. Slowly make my way up to the front. Finally got on my way to the front, and it was a very stern word, but for me, as I heard it, because I had people come out after me going, are you okay? Because it was a strong word, but that's how God got my attention, and it rocked me. When the people heard like, ooh, ooh, ah, ah, that's a bit hard. What I heard, I love you. And that was the first time in my life, I mean, there's other experiences I had, but that was the first time that I found out that God wanted me, not because I'm a pastor's kid, not because, you know, I'll do work for you, Lord. He wanted me for me. And that wrecked me. That was the first time. I remember right afterwards, That was November. I stopped everything. I stopped everything. Going, I was going to college. I was going to be a fire medic. I was training for firefighting and paramedic at the same time. I was playing on two sports teams. I had two different scholarships at Ranger College, volleyball and soccer. I had money. I had the popularity thing, things that I really was wanting. And all at that moment, as soon as I walked out those doors... I stopped. I remember going to my coach and just saying, Coach, I'm no disrespect to you. No, I, I really, I really appreciate you. He's one of my favorite coaches. And I said, I have to stop. I said, What's going on? Why? Why are you quitting? 
Like, I, scholarship is done. Sock, like, everything that I wanted and I fought so hard for, gone. And it was the best thing that could ever happen to me. Because why? I got him. So now rather than my life looking to go from party to party, make new buddies and be popular in people's eyes and meanwhile empty and hurting myself on the inside, I'm now finding myself here. This is starting right in the new year. So November this happened. Finding myself coming to this building. I remember asking my dad, I said, can I just have a key? I need to get in here. And I would just get in here. I would blast the music. And I remember just worshiping God three to four hours. I would just be here saying, God, I, I need you in my life. I remember at that time, all the friends, because for me, popularity was a big deal. Like, so all these things that were so big to you, and again, in high school, kind of going into college, your life is your buddies. I had a group of friends that we even got tattooed that said eternal friendship. I covered it over with a cross since then. Because <laughs> where are they? I don't see them. I remember saying to them, if you're going to be my friend, I'll see you at church on Sunday. Never saw them. So for me, it's like all this relationship, all this stuff that I wanted so bad, and now right after that, it's like I, I lost that group that I was with. I felt lonely, yet I wasn't. And it, it's, it's amazing how those feelings came back when I started writing that. Lord, I felt lonely. And to see, I remember seeing my friends, like we would go to the gym every night at 9.30 in that, the night. And I, would go, and I remember going there one night and seeing them already there without me. It, I remember a gut going through me just going, is this it? Like, God, I need help with this because it was such a big deal. Again, thinking high school a little bit. It was such a big deal to me to lose those relationships and to now see them there having fun. And I have no inclusive to this. Talk about FOMO. This guy, king of FOMO at that time. Yet I remember just on the inside going, it's so fine. You have me. And it just changed. Lord, I'm willing to amputate. If I have to get rid of relationships because of where they would lead me, I'll do it for you. Not going to do it for anybody else. I would do it for you. You want me to stop drinking? I'll do it for you. Want me to stop dating all these girls? I'll do it for you. And it just changed. And God has miraculously just taken time to invest himself in me, to reveal himself in me. And now I've never been more blessed in my entire life. I'm, I'm pastoring a church that I thought I would never be doing. I thought I'd, I would pastor if soccer didn't work out. Yeah, maybe I'll do that. It was such a stupid, immature thought, and now here I am doing it with all my heart because I love it. I love him. So I just want to encourage you with that. Take the time to write because it's all the emotion of it, the feeling of what took place when I first met the Lord, came back as I was sitting in my office at home as I was writing these things out, and I just sat there in quiet a couple minutes and I said, you really love me. Even if I weren't pastoring for you, even if I didn't do any of this stuff for you, you would still do it just because you wanted me. Nowhere in that word that you gave me, God, did you say, Joel, you're going to be pastoring, you're going to be doing stuff with youth, you're going to do, 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 do all these things. He just simply wanted me for me. So I want to encourage you, we get back to that place, and you can actually see, this is where I was, here I am now, God, take me back. I need that. I want that. Why? For my own sake, but also for the sake of this city. This city doesn't need an opinionated church. This city needs a hungry, on-fire church for him. And I'm dedicating the rest of my life, Lord, to, to grow in that passion. And if I need more of it, God, I'll do more of it. I'll do whatever it is because it's the passion that turned me on to him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We really do. So, Father, I ask you right now that you would continue to just even enlighten us, bring things back, memories back, from our long ago, maybe it's been decades ago that we, that we first fell in love with you. But Holy Spirit, you said in your word that you would bring things to our remembrance. You'd bring it back to our attention. So Father, I'm asking you right now that as we take this time to do what your word says and remember all that you've done for us, Lord, we'll be doers of this. But Father, we are expecting to grow in a deep reverence and a deep love for you again. In Jesus' precious name, amen.